Uh, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as associate pastor here over Discipleship and Families. And uh, if you're a visitor, like I said, we're so glad that you're here. And I pray that you feel welcome here uh, in this place. We're just a family of believers that are trying to walk closer with God. And so we'd love to encourage you in that as well. Um, if you would, turn into your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. That's the last verse in chapter 1. While you're turning there, um, we'll begin. The, the message this morning is called Prayer and Presence. This is the second week of Jonah. Dennis started us off last week with Jonah chapter 1. And I've got the responsibility to handle Jonah chapter 2. So the story so far is this. The prophet of God in the Old Testament named Jonah, whose responsibility it is to hear God and then to speak what God is saying, this prophet heard God say something to him to go to Nineveh, which was a place of, of, uh, of racial tension with the Jewish people, of violence tension with the, with the Jewish people. It was a people that were hated, and they hated the Jewish people. And Jonah goes like this. When God says, go to them, he goes, no, 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 I didn't hear, no, 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 no. And then he goes up to the coast, so Nineveh is northeast, Fertile Crescent over the northeast. Jonah heads west to the coast, gets on a boat. Nineveh's on land, by the way. (laughs) You can get on a camel and go there. He gets on a boat to head to Spain, running from the presence of God. No, 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 no. I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to be in your presence. I'm trying to get away as quickly as possible. And what happens? A storm hits. Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat. The the pagan sailors are upset. They're nervous. They're scared. They're crying out to their gods. Save us, save us, save us. Jonah wakes up. Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. Sacrifice me. This is because of my sin. So like, okay. Actually, I, I kind of skipped over a little bit. But they throw him over. And he begins to sink. And this passage, chapter 2, it's like a pause in the story. You, you ever been hearing a story and then all of a sudden goes, pause. Let's talk about something real quick. There's a pause in the story. And the pause is this. What's going through Jonah's mind as he's sinking? In fact, all of chapter 2, just from a, from a literary standpoint, all of chapter 2 gets more and more confined. In fact, it feels almost claustrophobic. We're going to look at it. Jonah feels claustrophobic as he sinks. And then at the very end, he's rescued. And then there's unpause and back to the story. So that's what chapter 2 is. It was really interesting. So we're going to talk about prayer and presence. As Jonah is sinking and as he encounters this fish, he encounters the God he's been running from. Now, some of you today are running from God right now. Your prayer life is pretty much a zero. You're not talking to him. You're running from him. I have good news for you. There's something for you this morning. And some of you have been praying, but you feel like God is like this to you, that God is not listening. 
I have good news for you. There's something to hear in chapter 2. So wherever you're at in prayer, the Father is after drawing all of our hearts into a deeper, intimate connection with Him right now. Prayer and presence. So let's look at the text. We're going to start with verse 17 of chapter 1. And basically, we're just going to walk through the text with regard to prayer and pull out what does this mean for me in my prayer life. And next slide will show kind of where we're going. Six truths about prayer. Number one, God's extreme measures that he goes to to be with his people. Two, the necessity of solitude. If we go back one more. The necessity of solitude and withdrawal. Prayer as confession and agreement with God. Prayer is remembering who is the Savior. Prayer is celebrating and receiving covenant love. And prayer propels ministry. Let's pray before we do this. Father, we thank you for your word. And we confess, I confess, I want to pray better. And I want more of your presence. And I want more relational connection with you, Abba. And I believe that is your heart for me and for every ear that is listening to this word. So Holy Spirit, come. Give us ears to hear. And give us eyes to see. And Jesus, the great King, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who we get access to the Father, we thank you, Jesus. We ask that you be honored. That's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So first, God's extreme measures to be with his people. It's found in verse 17. The text says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So as, as much as the fish is a big deal, you know, like when you're a kid and you grow up and you hear the story of Jonah and the fish, we think about the fish. It's interesting, the fish is only mentioned twice in the text. It's here in verse 17, and then it's again at the end of chapter 2. This is chapter 2, verse 10. The fish is mentioned twice. The reason I mention that is the fish is not really what's important. Y'all hearing me? You see, theologians have spent hours and hours and hours and decades of their lives. Is the fish metaphorical? Is it a metaphorical fish? Was it a real fish? How did he breathe in the belly? He's underwater. What about the digestive juices? I mean, it gets on you. You see, we ask all these questions. Let me just say something. None of that matters. What's most important is the hero of the story, which is God himself. So it doesn't really matter to me if there's a real fish that swallows Jonah. What matters to me is there, a re- is there a, is a real God who meets Jonah. So there's this fish. And this fish swallows Jonah. And look at the text. It says, the Lord appointed a great fish. That word appointed means commanded arranged. It speaks of the sovereignty of God. Listen, God is so in control of nature and creation that he can take a fish to swallow a prophet. Y'all hear me? He is so in control that a fish who's like, I don't 
want to swallow, I guess I'm going to swallow. He arranged, he commanded, he appointed. He said, fish, get them. Okay, got them. Why? Because God will go to extreme measures to be with his people. And God will go to extreme measures to be with you. He will go to extreme measures when you're running to get you back to himself. And that's good news. Second point. The necessity of solitude and withdrawal. It's found in verse 1 of chapter 2. So now we're jumping into chapter 2. Here we go. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So Jonah is inside the belly of this fish and he begins to pray. Can you imagine three days and three nights inside a fish? Can you imagine... You know, there's no cell phone with a light on it, so there's no light. Three days, three nights, deafening silence other than the rumble of water. Can you imagine that? It's forced solitude. That's good. Listen to me. It's forced solitude. There's a definite, in our culture there, it's almost like people will start getting hives when things get quiet, right? You get silent for one minute and people start just shaking. That's because we don't understand silence and solitude, but God is a big fan. In fact, he forces it on Jonah. Silence, solitude. You say, well, Jamie, I mean... I don't know about all that. I, I don't know that I can be silent like that. Jesus is the model for us. This is Mark chapter 1, 35 to 37. The gospel writer says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. As if that's a bad thing, right? Jesus, you're supposed to be with the people. I thought you loved people, but Jesus is away. Do you see it? Jesus, God in human flesh, the second member of the Trinity, the creator of all things, who spoke galaxies into being, he understands the value of solitude and withdrawal. Are y'all hearing me this morning? And if Jesus needs it, guess what? You and I need it. Let, don't play games. Don't play games. No, I, I, I'm an extrovert, so I just need to be around people. I get that. I get that. You also need silence and solitude. I'm an introvert. I love silence and solitude. Great. You also need to be with people afterwards, right? Because guess what? Jesus is going to come down off the mountain. He's going to engage. There's something really healthy about Jesus. So silence, solitude, withdrawal is important. Now, let's jump back into Jonah. <laughs> Pun intended. Um, so Jonah is now in solitude, and God uses this forced solitude. Notice, God uses the suffering of Jonah to engage with him, to slow him down, to, to get Jonah to stop running and to engage him as God. Quiet solitude, withdrawal is necessary for prayer in our life, especially when we're running from God. 
You know, the psalmist says, be still and know that I'm God. He doesn't say, be frantic and busy and know that I am God. He says, be still and know that I am God. An important truth, God uses suffering to slow Jonah down, to stop his running and give him time to be still and know that Yahweh is God. So I'm just going to do a real quick timeout. Let's talk about suffering, because some of you in the room have experienced suffering, and what I'm going to say might sound like I'm uh, being insensitive, so I'm, I'm about to speak really pastorally right now. There are three categories of suffering. Number one, we can suffer due to our own sin. That's the example of Jonah here. Jonah ran from God. Jonah is experiencing suffering because he ran from God. Follow? It's his sin. Here's a consequence for his sin. There's another category of suffering, which is due to other people's sin. That is, suffering because someone else has committed sin, and I am receiving the consequences of that. I put up here Corey Tim Boom, who experienced concentration camps, almost gas chamber, because of her sympathy and help to the Jewish people. He also put the entire Jewish people during um, the Nazi situation. But others have experienced suffering because of someone else's sin. And the third category would be suffering due to the general brokenness in this world. That would be someone has a tragic accident and it wasn't their fault. It wasn't family's fault. It wasn't anyone's fault. It just happened, right? And they're experiencing suffering. And what happens with Jonah is category number one. It's due to his own sin. So... When suffering comes, regardless of whether it's your sin or someone else's sin against you or general brokenness in the world, when suffering comes, regardless of category, God is at work to bring about good, Romans 8.28. The Father doesn't waste our pain. Let us not waste our pain either by running from Him. See, when you're experiencing suffering, whether it's due to your own sin, someone else's sin, or general brokenness, when you're experiencing suffering, God is saying, I want to move in that. And many times we will run from God and we waste that suffering. Where God is saying, no, I want to do something good right there. And the good for Jonah and for every single one of us is more of him. More of him. C.S. Lewis, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Some people have experienced God so profoundly in the midst of their suffering that they will actually say, I wouldn't trade that moment for anything because I got more of him. Like, I, I didn't like it that I went through it, but I wouldn't trade that because I got him. And for some people, it actually creates this, this thought process that he's so good in the midst of the suffering, it almost feels like he caused it because he did something so good in it. Are y'all hearing me? And that becomes the mystery of what God is doing and what we're doing. Jess, my wife you know, had um, torn labrum surgery in her left shoulder. All things being considered, Jess doesn't want to have shoulder issues, right? 
All things considered, Jess doesn't want to miss work. Jess doesn't want to do PT. Jess doesn't want to be in pain. But you know what God has done in the last four weeks? He has met Jesus and met Jess. Because she's had time to be with him. But she could have wasted these last four weeks, couldn't she? Filling it with Netflix and any other number of things. Did God cause Jess's shoulder to be torn? No. But will God use it to draw her to himself? Yes. Yes. It reminds me of Joseph when he speaks to his brothers. I've been reading through the Bible this year. I just passed Joseph. Joseph looks at his brothers. This is Genesis 50, 20. He says, as for you, brothers, you meant it for evil, selling me into slavery. You meant it for for evil, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph has this perspective. Yeah, I suffered for 13 plus years because of what you did. But God was working to save Egypt and all of Israel through my suffering. Are you all hearing me today? So let's get practical. Corey Tin Boom, there's a reason I put her up there. Corey Tin Boom writes this Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Uh, let me just submit something. After all this talk of suffering, let me just submit something to you. God will meet you in your suffering, yes. God will use suffering to meet you, yes. But why wait to learn the lesson the hard way when we can meet him right now? Y'all hearing me? Don't, don't, don't wait. Listen, if you're in a time of suffering, run to him now. If you're not, like things are well, don't wait till they're bad to start praying. Go to him now. So ask yourself, what is my plan to have solitude and to be alone with the Father? What is my plan? Third truth. Prayer as confession and agreement with God. It's found in verses 2 to 3. So Jonah begins his prayer. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or the grave, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. What's Jonah doing? Jonah is confessing his own sin and he's agreeing with God. Everything that's happened to me is because I ran from you, he says. I'm I'm agreeing with you, God. You've done this thing. It was my fault. You cast me into the deep. Your waves, your billows passed over me. He's agreeing with God. And even in the midst of saying, yes, I've messed up, he calls out for grace and mercy. He doesn't deserve grace or mercy, but he calls out for it. Do you see in in verse 2? I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And I have really good news, friends. Listen to me. Jonah, in the midst of his sin, calls out to God and God hears him. Has Jonah made it to Nineveh and done what God asked him to do before God heard him? Answer, no. 
Did, did Jonah do some sort of uh, major giving to the church to get God to hear him? Answer? No. What was Jonah doing? He was running. <laughs> and he stopped and said, help! And God, God heard him. I have good news for you. No matter how far you feel you have gone in your sin, God hears you when you cry. You know that thing that you said you would never do? You've done it 150 times. I will never do that again. Then you do it again. You cry out. He hears our prayers. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In your darkest moments, friend, God hears you. It doesn't matter if you feel like He hears you. The truth is He hears you. Are y'all hearing me? Because that's good. It doesn't matter whether you feel like He hears you. When you cry to Him, He hears you. That's the truth of Scripture. So let's get practical. If you are in sin, confess quickly. Don't play around. Confess quickly and move into grace. Man, when I was in college, I would, I would, I would sin... And then I would, it's so stupid. I would then be like, okay, let me read the Bible for five straight days. Then he'll hear my prayer. Anyone else? Or like, okay, so I sinned and I messed up and I felt like there was like this purgatory season that I had, it's like a probationary season before he would hear me. So I had to like do good stuff. That's not true. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. You see, in that moment of sin, my face is in the pig trough like a prodigal son. I turn to the Father and receive forgiveness. That's what grace is. So if you are in sin, confess quickly. And then if there is no known sin, ask the Lord, is there anything in me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Is there anything in me that's hidden that I don't know about? Show me. I want to confess it. This is all in the context of prayer. Some of us say, I don't know what to say when I'm praying. How about this? (laughs) If you're in sin, confess quickly. If there's no known sin, ask the Lord, is there anything in me that needs to go? And he will give you revelation. Fourth, prayer is remembering who is the Savior, verses 4 to 7. This is Jonah. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to him into your holy temple. Jonah acknowledges that he's in trouble. Jonah, all this imagery of the weeds surrounding my head down the roots of the mountains, all of that claustrophobic language is the language of of someone who realizes he is dying. It's as if he's saying this as he is sinking before the fish comes. There's an understanding. I've been running from God and now I'm in danger of being separated from him forever in Sheol in the grave. And he cries out. He cries out. You see, your holy temple, 
I've called you in your holy temple. Yet you brought up my life. I remembered the Lord. See, in prayer, the reason we pray is because we need a Savior. So let's just get real practical with it. Prayerlessness is a sign of pride that I still think I'm the Savior. Prayerlessness is a sign of pride that I still think I'm the Savior. You see, when someone stops and prays, they are explicitly and implicitly declaring, I can't do this on my own. Right? And when I don't pray, I am manifesting my heart which says, I don't need you, God. But it's not just what's going on in the heart. When I come to prayer, it literally changes us on the inside. Prayer has the effect of creating the opposite of that. Prayer itself actually begins to change the heart. The Spirit of God actually changes our heart from the inside so that it becomes life for us. Even the act of praying is life-giving and life-changing. Because engagement with God is life. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you go to heaven when you die. That's not what he said. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not cognitive awareness of God. It is experiential knowing, gnosko. He says, eternal life is knowing you, experientially knowing the Father. That's where life is. You were created for him. And life is found in him. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Coming to Abba is life through Christ. Are you all hearing me? That's what prayer is. I can't do this on my own. I'm coming to Abba in Christ by the Spirit. That's what prayer is. And it literally changes. It is life. Let's make an illustration. Dennis mentioned this. The staff, when we're prepping, prepping for our sermons, uh, we'll just talk through the outline together. And Dennis threw this out. And it's killer. I love this illustration. Next slide. That is Mount Everest. That is the summit, or at least close to the summit. And there's a place in Everest called the Death Zone. And the Death Zone is anything that's eight thousand meters above sea level or 26,000 feet above sea level. When you are in the death zone above that 26,000 feet, there is not enough oxygen to live. You are dying. Listen to me in the death zone. You are dying. That's why there's supplemental oxygen. You see that guy right there? Little Darth Vader action. You are dying. There's not enough oxygen in the death zone. Even people who have trained, go to Mile High Stadium and train in a higher altitude, doing all that, even they, without oxygen, you're going to die. And your body is dying. The truth is, everyday life is a spiritual dead zone for us. You wake up tomorrow morning. Listen, tomorrow morning when your eyes open up, you are opening up into a spiritual death zone. And if you don't get oxygen, you are dying. You know what oxygen is? Connection to Abba. 
Listen, if I wake up and I walk through my life and I completely neglect the Father, the Son, and the Spirit regularly, daily, day after day after day, I'm walking in a dead zone, dying, and I don't know it. Engagement with God is life. And the enemy is like, no, you don't. That's boring. That's boring. Look at this Disney Plus. The baby Yoda. He's beautiful. The beautiful one. And it's a big fat lie straight from hell. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Everyone look right at me. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you are in a spiritual death zone. And you are spiritually dying. And when we neglect prayer and the word, and we neglect communion with God, we are literally killing ourselves. So the supplemental oxygen... That, that's, that's prayer. It's life. And listen, don't... Mm, I'm about to start preaching. So, 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 so when you, co- when you come to church and you hear someone else pray, or when you come to church and you hear someone speak about what they've learned from the Word, listen, it's like trying to take their supplemental oxygen and suck a little something down from them. No, they brought their oxygen. So I can't go up to someone else and say, I'm going to try to get it from you. I'm gonna... No. And it may work for a little while, but by Tuesday, you're in trouble, friend. And we come to worship. We're like, yes, this is amazing. Paul did a great job. Wow, we're worshiping. But if I don't have a heart of worship Monday to Saturday, I'm dying. I can't just say Sunday is when I'm going to breathe. No, it's not. Monday is when you breathe. And Monday afternoon is when you breathe. And Monday night before you go to bed is when you breathe. And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. We sing this is the air I breathe except it's baby Yoda and everything else that we're breathing except for him. And listen, the reason I'm yelling is because it's in my own heart. And I want it out. I cannot wait for the day when Jesus returns and there is no more struggle with a heart that is 100% after him. I cannot wait. And the enemy lies to us, friends. The enemy is lying to every single one of us. Prayer is boring. No, you didn't get enough sleep last night. Don't get up early. No, you're tired. The alarm, shut it off. Now the kids need something. I gotta. I gotta binge watch this show. Get in the Word and in communion with God. It is life. Yeah, I said that. Next slide. Let's get practical. I'm not about prescriptions. I'm not making prescriptions. I'm not trying to be like, this is what the word said because the word doesn't say it. I'm just throwing something out here. 30 minutes is a minimum if you want to be spiritually alive daily. I get it. If you want to push back on me, that's fine. This is just where I'm at. If I'm not engaging with the Lord 30 minutes a day, I'm in trouble. I can feel spiritual atrophy on me. You can use whatever metric you want to use. I'm not putting any guilt on anyone or any legalism. I'm just throwing it out there. When we neglect Abba day after day after day after day after day, we are in trouble.
But guess what? Taking a big at the beginning of the day and then trying to just hold your breath all day doesn't work either, friend. In fact, doesn't the Bible say pray without ceasing? That sounds like breathe without ceasing. Sounds like live without dying. You see, mindfulness is needed throughout the day. Pray without ceasing. Ceasing. Practice his presence. There's been a men's huddle. We've been online on Tuesday evenings just meeting together, talking together. And an idea was thrown out of having an alarm on your phone that goes off every 30 minutes. And just goes, bing. And I started doing that. That was about two weeks ago. Every 30 minutes, bing. And what it does is it creates a rhythm in my day where I begin to give thanks. I give to acknowledge again, every 30 minutes, Abba, you're with me. Jesus, you're with me. Spirit, you're with me. I'm typing out, I'm, I'm hitting an email. Ding, Abba, thank you. Thank you that I get to be here. I'm studying for the sermon. Bing, Abba, thank you that I don't have to impress these people because my identity is in you. I'm with my wife and with my kids. Bing, thank you for these that you've given me. I want to steward their hearts well. Mindfulness during the day. Number five. Run out of time, friends. Prayer is celebrating and receiving covenant love. It's found in verses eight to nine. Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is confessing this concept. He's contrasting those who trust in idols with those who trust in the chesed, the covenant loyal love, the steadfast love of Yahweh. He's contrasting going after idols versus staying in covenant with the God who loves you. He says salvation is found in Yahweh, not in idols. Here's a thought. Next slide. Prayerlessness is a sign that I'm finding satisfaction somewhere else. Prayerlessness is running from God and to something else. An idol is anything that I think I need to live. An idol is anything that I think I need to be happy. An idol is anything I think I need that will bring me joy and complete me. Right? So there's God who actually does all those things or anything else that's not him that I run to thinking will satisfy me. And when I'm prayerless, I'm again saying, ooh, as opposed to going for the steadfast love of Yahweh, of God himself. And in prayer, I get to celebrate and to receive that love. In prayer, I get to say thank you and worship him. Okay, number six, prayer propels ministry. Last verse. And the Lord spoke to the fish. There's that sovereignty of God again. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. It vomited Jonah out on dry land. So Jonah's prayer time now is concluded, apparently. Right? Get the little seaweed. Ah. 
What's the expectation, friends? You get spit out of the belly of a fish after a prayer time. What's the expectation? Shower and then go to Nineveh. Go. Go. (laughs) Uh, Y'all aren't hearing me today. Prayer drives ministry. Uh, anyone thought about the fact that the reason, one of the reasons he didn't go to Nineveh, he's already not engaged with Abba. And he, then we come to a church that has schedules ministry events, and then we go, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to, Dennis said do it, so I'm going to do it. And guess what? You don't like it the whole time. You know what one of the reasons might be? A heart that has not been saturated with Abba. I'm talking to myself, friends. Don't. I hope y'all hear it when I. This is because I need it. When there's a ministry opportunity in front of me and God says, do this, and I go, that's a sign that something's wrong here. Because prayer, I walk out of prayer into service. That's what Jesus did. We're going to see that, the text, Mark 1, 35 to 39. I don't know if I put that one up there. But he's rising early in the morning. They say, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus comes down and he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. See, Jesus had a, a, a life rhythm, desolate solitude with the father and then ministry and then back into communion with the father and then ministry and then back into communion with the father and then ministry, right? If you go ministry, 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 it's called burnout. Prayer compels us then to begin to move in ministry. Let's, let's, land. let's land the ship. No pun intended. Where are you? Where are you right now? Are you running from God? Are you mad at him because you feel like he didn't answer your prayer that time? Are you frustrated because of the suffering that he allowed you to go through? Have you reached a point where you're discouraged by the fact that you do, you're trying to pray and just... Where are you? I have good news for you, friend. Jonah is pointing to the answer to the question, where are you? For every single one of us in the room. God wants to be with his people. That's his heart. In the garden, he walked in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve were hiding from him, running from him. And he said, where are you? And the effect of sin separated their relationship. And all the covenant promises of God have the same heart behind them. All the covenants. And they say this, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell with you. 
And these covenants then have a symbol. It's called the temple. And in the temple, there's the holy of holies, the holiest place. The Ark of the Covenant is there. And the kabod, the glory of God, came and rested right in that holy of holies. That the presence of God would be with his people in Jerusalem. And there was a day, a high feast called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, in which the high priest would enter into that space one time a year. He would enter into that space to make sacrifices for all the people. Why? So that God's presence could stay amongst the people of God. So one day, one guy gets to walk into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. One day. One guy. It's interesting. Jonah is read on Yom Kippur every year right now in the Jewish faith. Did you know that? They read Jonah cover to cover. On the Day of Atonement. Huh? Huh? You see, Jesus comes along and says, someone greater than Jonah is here. You want a sign? How about this? The Son of Man will be in the ground three days and three nights. You see, when Jesus is on the cross, nailed to the cross for the sin of the world, he cries out, it is finished. And the veil in the Holy of Holies that keeps everyone out from the presence of God, that veil is torn in two, symbolizing everybody can come into the presence of God. Everyone can get Him because of Jesus. That's what we get to celebrate. Someone greater than Jonah is here. Someone who didn't run from God so that you and I can be with God forever. If you're running from God, I have good news for you. In Jesus, you can have him now, right now, forever. And prayer is me saying, yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm not going to take the veil in the Holy of Holies and shut it and go do something else. But prayer is, yes, I want you. You want me. Let's dwell together. Where are you? And he doesn't stop there. Then he takes his spirit and puts it inside of us. We become the holy of holies. And we're running away from God when we are the temple of God. Do you see? The father is after your prayer life. He wants you. He wants you. Let's stand and pray. We're just going to take a few moments. After all, Jamie's screaming. We're going to take a few moments to pray. If you need to go in and get kiddos or do something else, I bless you. You're not going to hurt my feelings. And I know we're supposed to go to Light Bites, but Abba is here to meet us. So I want everybody to close their eyes. I'm just going to walk us through prayer. Abba, we come before you and we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. And we're seeking forgiveness. Just take a few moments. Confess to the Lord your sin. Just in the quiet of your own heart, confess to the Lord your sin.
And Father, we thank you that in Jesus our sins are washed away. That Jesus died on the cross in my place and in our place. That he became sin who knew no sin. That in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Spend a few moments and receive forgiveness. Lastly, I want you to picture your heart with a big throne on top of that heart and you sitting on that throne. And I want, to picture, I want you to picture yourself stepping down and letting Jesus sit right there. Father, I blessed my brothers and sisters with hunger for you. I blessed them with minds that are attentive to you. Holy Spirit, would you remind them every 30 minutes to think about Abba? I bless this church with hunger and thirst for the glory of Jesus. I bless this church with a quickness to confess and a quickness to forgive those who have sinned against us. And I bless you with all the gifts of the Spirit to do the works of ministry that as the Father sent Jesus, he so sends you and us to go out and be carriers of grace and good news, carriers of the kingdom. I bless my brothers and sisters with courage, with revelation, with wisdom, and with peace and more of your presence. And I bless them with divine encounters with those who need kingdom love. Abba, we thank you. Jesus, we honor you. Spirit, we welcome you and yield to you. And all God's people said, amen. You are loved and you are dismissed. Peace.